Hi, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and in each episode, I will discuss and explore the key challenges facing family businesses today. As a family business advisor, I'm passionate about helping families to overcome the complex and unique challenges that come from being in business together. So if what I cover in the show resonates with you, I'm here to help, and I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. You can also sign up to the newsletter there and receive the latest blogs, podcasts and videos directly in your inbox. I would like to thank my friends at the Institute for Family Business for their continuing support for what I'm doing with this show. The IFB is a unique community of family businesses with common challenges, interests, values and goals. To find out more about their work, visit ifb.org.uk. Let's get on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. I hope you're doing well. This week's show is a little bit different in that I am actually being interviewed. Now I, as you'll hear later, don't feel entirely comfortable about being interviewed uh, on my own podcast. But a number of you have got in touch and suggested that it would be an interesting topic to talk about. So I've managed to convince my friend and colleague Martin Stepek, who regular listeners of the show will recognise from a couple of episodes that Martin has featured in, particularly focusing on mindfulness. But Martin himself grew up in a family business and has studied the topic and has given advice to many family businesses over the years himself. And he and I embarked on a project to record his family business experience which again we talk about a little bit later in this show so it felt quite natural to ask Martin to interview me for this episode so the tables have been turned I'm on the receiving end of the questions and I hope you enjoy the interview with Martin which is coming up in just a bit before that just to remind everybody to sign up to the newsletter What I do in the newsletter is I share a selection of content from around the globe on various different topics within a family business. So if you work in a family business or work with family businesses, there's a load of different stuff that I share that will hopefully be useful to you. Uh, As a reminder, the sign up for that is on the homepage for the website, which is fanbizpodcast.com. You can also find all sorts of links to different playlists that are listed there covering a vast array of topics, how you and I can work together if that's something that you would like to explore and uh, if you really wanted to how you can support the show through iTunes ratings and the like. So as I say I am being interviewed myself this week by uh, my friend and colleague Martin Stepek and I hope you enjoy the awkwardness of me being on the other side of the questions for once. And yeah, I will pass over to me introducing Martin and our interview that we did together. Well, hello, Martin. And firstly, thanks very much for agreeing to um, interview me on the show this week. It's uh, a little bit uncomfortable for me, but I'm very happy that it's you interviewing me for the show today. Well, my pleasure, Russ, and it's good to see you. It's interesting being in the opposite end of the chair, doing the interviewing for a change. Yeah, and uh, we'll see how it pans out. We're obviously very used to um, talking to each other on a regular basis and have recorded that in the past, so it shouldn't be um, 
too tricky for us. But I'll, I'll now hand over to you to, to start the show. Well, thank you. And as someone who's spoken with you in, in several occasions and been on the receiving end, I guess the best place to start is where you usually start, which is to say, you know, you ask people to introduce themselves, how they came to be doing what they're doing today. So let's just continue that process and off to you. Perfect. So obviously I'm the host of this show, but also a, a family business advisor as, as my profession. But the, the route I took to getting to firstly having a, a podcast and being able to do this, the advisory side of it as, as a job was a background in financial planning and wealth management. And the businesses that I worked for tended to have family businesses as the core of their client base. And so I found myself working with a large number of family businesses, but not deliberately, not kind of in a specialist sense. It was much more through the lens of the standard approach to financial planning and and wealth management. But I noticed through that, that there were different approaches and different viewpoints when working with a family business to say somebody who had a specific retirement date in mind and worked in a job that had you know retire at 65 get your carriage clock and off to the garden or the golf course that kind of um, scenario and it fascinated me that very often there would be no financial reason for the person not to retire in inverted commas it would often be much more linked to the emotional side of, sort of sense of purpose and identity and obviously the emotional attachment to the family business that that person enjoyed. And so it got me thinking when I joined, a, it was actually a family run wealth management and financial planning business. It got me thinking about well, why, if I'm experiencing these views commonly and in, in these kind of emotional challenges to what we would term a succession or, or transition um, of a business. Let, let's write a book about it because it's if I'm experiencing it and seeing it, then maybe others are. And that opened the door to me recording a lot of interviews with families that I'd worked with, families that I hadn't worked with, lawyers, accountants, various other professionals that I'd been in contact with and, and had been speaking to, to explore this area of the sort of emotional barriers to succession and, and transition and use the recordings from the interviews to put a book together. Now, the book's still sat on my laptop and hasn't been published and possibly won't ever be published, but it opened my eyes to a completely separate side to how advice can be given to family businesses through the role of a family business advisor, which I'll be honest, I didn't know existed until I embarked on, on the book project. And the recordings I found were far more interesting than what I'd written about the recordings. So that kind of gave birth to the the idea of the um, podcast. And for a while, I did the consultancy work with family businesses through the financial planning business that I was working within. But it, it came the time actually just prior to uh, the pandemic hitting, I decided to step out into my own consultancy business and take the leap into running my own 
business delivering just bespoke dedicated support to to family-owned businesses and that transition was a tricky one because of the pandemic but it's been fun nonetheless so going back a little bit um how long do you reckon it took you from the first family business client you had as a finance wealth advisor to uh, the realization that these families and these organizations and these individuals are different somehow? I think I probably realized relatively early on that I enjoyed working with them more than it, it was it was more interesting it, it makes it sound like the kind of fish in a tank that you want to sort of prod and, and learn more about and I, I don't mean it in that sense but to, to the extent where there was much more going on in terms of the dynamics within a lot of the families it wasn't something I was perhaps hugely aware of because typically my client would be the senior generation so as a financial advisor, I'd work with the person or a couple. And then as I got to learn more about the family business side, would would expand that out to say, well, we need to, to start having conversations across generations rather than just with you because there is this sort of intertwining of various roles and the business itself. But, but I think I was naturally drawn to family businesses as, as a just a natural synergy in terms of how my mind works and how family businesses operate and how the kind of conflicting needs need to be balanced. It gave me a challenge and something that I enjoyed getting involved in. Whilst it was obviously a family business that the family were emotionally attached to, which gave it more significance. And I'd, again, I've got to be careful. I don't upset people who aren't in a family business by saying it doesn't matter as much. But when there's so much dynamics and so much kind of involved in the family business side, it just it just seemed to be a natural um, place for me to spend more time because it felt that there was some kind of affinity there. Okay, that's really interesting because I... As the interviewer just now, I was born into a family business, so it's an entirely different thing from my perspective. But there's a time in your life when you're a financial advisor interested in family businesses, and there's a time now when you are both renowned as a, a podcaster on that theme and a family business consultant. Can you timeline us through how that threaded through when the podcasting came and started, when podcasting and family business consultancy and advice started working together and, and, and basically how that thread, because that's that in itself is a fascinating transition. Yeah, so after I'd written the book, I got to the point where it was probably ready to to be published. And it was only ever going to be self-published. It wasn't like a, a book deal or anything like that. And I read it and thought it, it, I might've got a bit of kind of over, you know, when you're so familiar with, with something that it feels like I'm not saying anything new here. And it kind of felt like there's nothing new here. Surely this sort of stuff is, it's not groundbreaking. It's not, not going to have a, a huge amount of impact if I put this out into to the world. 
and maybe 30 copies would go and most of those would be to my mum and the others would keep doors open or be placemats for coffee or you know whatever people use use the books for but but I'd captured the interviews which were they were never used for the podcast because they weren't I mean some of them were in a cafe where there's all sorts of jangling and so much noise going on that you can you can barely hear what what's being talked about but the concept of capturing those conversations plus the ability to disseminate that across a much broader audience than via a book. I mean, now the the podcast has been downloaded 154 countries, which I don't think I might have done, but I don't think I would have sold one book to, to 154 different countries, right? So that there was the, the appeal of um, podcasting. It was still relatively new at the time that I started to, to release it, albeit it had been very well established. It still was relatively new at the time. And I had a friend of mine who is probably one of the best known financial planning podcasters, a guy called Pete Matthew, who runs a podcast called The Meaningful Money um, Podcast. And I thought if I release another podcast that's based on financial planning and maybe have a family business tilt or, or specialism within that podcast, it's going to be competing with other financial planning podcasts. It's, it's going to be focused on that side. And actually what I'd uncovered in the interviews for the book was so much more wide reaching than just the financial aspects. I looked at whether there were any other family business podcasts around at the time, but there, there was an opportunity to be able to try and disseminate really useful information to a market that I thought was being underserved in terms of, the information and sort of educational content that could potentially be put out there. So that's why the podcast kind of started. And my focus, I worked with a family business, a consultancy business, whilst I was also doing the financial planning side of things. So I, I combined the work with family businesses and started doing stuff away from sort of generic financial planning stuff. And I then went on a course, which is a life planning course, which sounds quite grand in the sense of, of it being life planning. And, and But it was transformational for, for me because what it does is it looks at how you'll become fulfilled as a, as a human being. What is it that's really important to you? and helps you visualize that and helps you focus on what steps you're going to take in order to live that fulfilled life. And there's three questions that it asks. The last question in, in those three questions is, if today was your last day on earth, what would be your biggest regret? What wouldn't you have got to do? And who wouldn't you have got to be? And that really struck home with me, the who didn't you get to be bit really struck home with me because it was at a time where I was considering going out on my own as, as a, a business owner to, to deliver a service which I'm passionate about delivering. I was able to do that in the business that I was working with in, but it was always under that banner of sort of financial planning. It's probably safer to stay under that banner but when I asked myself that question, who didn't, who wouldn't I have become, is I wouldn't have followed my passion and that 
kind of desire to to have a positive impact in that way had I sort of stayed within that financial planning business. So that's the reason it, I took a step out was because I wanted to be somebody who could have a positive impact via hopefully the, the podcast has a positive impact on people, but also through the work I do with families. Having that positive impact is something that's really important to me because it that's what I feel is, is contributing to a fulfilled life. Maybe an unanswerable question. Where do you think those values comes from, that desire to help others? So I've, I have actually done a, a bit of work on this. And when I was growing up, my parents fostered lots of other children. And they tended to foster because they were very highly regarded in that sort of environment, I guess. They fostered children that had either special educational needs or had behavioural issues, or in some cases had sort of specific medical needs. And so I was brought up in a household that showed that caring for others is really important because I was very fortunate to have, you know, my mum and my dad and my sister growing up around me and having the stability of, of that. But there were lots of other kids that came into our house and came into our lives that didn't have that stability and didn't have that. I mean, one of the, the children that uh, lived with us came to us as a, a six-month-old baby and left at two and a half years old. So stayed for a long time and had, you know, my parents took on somebody else's child and and raised them to, to two and a half years old and then had to um, pass them back to, to whatever the, the system said at that time. And I think it highlighted, I think it, it helped ingrain a sense of empathy and a sense of emotional awareness in me that however fortunate I am in terms of what I've done, it, there's always a way that you can help and support people. That's fascinating, absolutely fascinating background. Jumping to almost like the other side of human nature is, so you start on a podcast and you'd never previously done it, although you'd interviewed people before. How did you try to market it, get it out there? How did you end up with a really good, strong following that's, that's international? So I actually think I was pretty naive at the time. I obviously I spoke to Pete, who I mentioned, has the really successful podcast. And one of the sort of big tips around any content creation actually is consistency. So it's to be consistent with it and, and kind of allow it to grow and, and don't measure it necessarily on what you might consider as common metrics for um, content, which is say, say number of downloads or uh, number of hits to a website, the, the, the stuff that you know, marketeers will, will pay a lot of attention to. The, the idea behind the podcast and the passion behind the podcast is to, to disseminate useful information in a way that's easy to take on. And I've been told I had a, a good interview style, as in I could hold a conversation with, with people. And I was fortunate enough to know how to press record on Zoom at the time, which is a long time before Zoom kind of became a mainstay of our lives. But the it was the consistency and the persistency and, and perhaps a lack of expectation around it that has meant that I've just stuck with it irrespective of whether 
I mean, I remember the first um, episode got 19 downloads. And I think nine of those were me checking to see whether if I downloaded it, it would add another one to the thing. So I was kind of waiting for the ticker to to rattle through to get the hundreds of thousands of downloads. But the, the reality is that that um, was never the case. But it's keeping that consistency going. And what I've found, I've been really fortunate in the fact that pretty much everybody that I've approached in the family business world, and I've gone, look, I'd, I'd like to record a conversation talking about a particular topic that you're an expert in. They've all said, yeah, that's great. And it's that sense of kind of community that's been built around the family business world as well that I feel so at home in because it is a collaborative space. It is somewhere where, you know, people who do the same as I do as a job are more than happy to come on and talk to me about it because there's no sense of it being hugely competitive. It, we're all trying to do it in in a way of, you know, giving back and and having a positive impact on the families that we work with. So it's it's a very nice community to feel part of. And I think that coupled with my naivety around the expectations of, of what a podcast could, could do has kind of allowed me to keep it consistent. And I really enjoy it. I love talking to, to people and interviewing them. And I've got quite a curious mind. So interviewing people, and it feels a bit like cheating sometimes because I get to learn from the sort of experts from around the world on particular aspects of it. But that obviously goes into how I can then help clients as well. So it's it's not all entirely kind of outward facing. I benefit from it as well in that sense, which is I think is a good thing. Great. Well, two related questions again, or maybe two sides of the same coin. One is where, or do you know where, people initially find you and your podcast from and where do you find your hopefully interviewees so in terms of where people find it i think the only real tool i had in order to to try and distribute and share the podcast was social media so it was twitter and linkedin are the two main platforms that i sort of publish to or, or put content out to um, I think as well the 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 benefit of being one of I mean there's many more family business podcasts now than than when I started and again I think that's a great thing because the the more information that's out there the better it, it can only be a, a good thing in that sense but at the time if anybody searched for a family business podcast on Google for example the chances are I would be somewhere on the first page of that so they would be able to find it through that. And I think through word of mouth and through if people that I've interviewed share it with their network, then they become aware of it and it's opened the door to, to some other very interesting projects, which I, I think we'll cover off later on. But but in terms of how the audience finds it, it's pretty organic. I don't, like it's all self-funded, so I don't put a huge amount of marketing spend into whatever Facebook ads or whatever the the trendy sort of podcasters do or Joe Rogan or, or whatever, however he spreads his uh, message. But a lot of it's through word of mouth. I, I mentioned as well, I've got an inquisitive mind. So I, I constantly look at the, the sort of new and upcoming research and ideas and content that's being produced by people that are in the, the field. And if it's something that I think the audience will be really interested in, Again, it's just an outreach of 
looking to record a podcast episode, would you be interested in coming on the show? And nine times out of 10, everyone just goes, yeah, brilliant. That'd be great. Let's, let's go. And I think the the podcast is only as good as the guests that have been on it. So it, from that respect, I'm very lucky that everybody said yes. Fabulous. So you've now done, I don't know how many, you'll know possibly exactly how many um, of these podcasts, but well over a hundred, I guess. And what comes out recurringly? What's, what are the things that you just say, boom, that stands out, that stands out, that stands out, um, as themes that are almost like universal? Mm. I think as with family business, there's always going to be challenges or things that need to be looked at from from the point of a transition of ownership or management and I think what one of the biggest takeaways that I've taken both from the the podcast and the work that I do is that there's no cookie cutter approach there's no kind of one size fits all just fill out this checklist and you know the succession will be smooth and you'll be skipping down the road together at, at the end of next week but, but I think where people are curious and are looking to explore those issues is you get lots of different ideas about how to approach those tricky subjects. And it's the culmination of that knowledge as we develop it. I mean, you'll know as well, the, the actual sort of academic research into one of the oldest business models in the world is still pretty young in, in relative terms. And so bringing fantastic minds and fantastic ideas from other professions that have dealt with aspects of these transitions and challenges, I think is a good way to start collecting together ideas that have worked for for other families. Again, not with the cookie cutter or checklist type approach to it, but having conversations and being able to facilitate conversations that focus on these ideas. I think transitions is always an area that crops up. And also, particularly in the work that I'm doing at the moment, is helping ownership teams work better together because again if you've passed ownership from say generation one to generation two most of gen one that that i've spoken to the founding generation haven't set up a business to be a business owner they've set up a business to follow their passion to provide for their family and to you know ownership is a byproduct of that passion rather than it being the overall aim but if that's then successful and it becomes something tangible that's passed on to the next generation, that's probably the first conversation they've had around what ownership is. Because for the founding generation, it's much more about the passion and the work and and whatever it is that they're either doing or creating. The ownership discussion doesn't necessarily happen. And so knowing how to work together as an ownership team can be really difficult because it's new. And it could be with siblings and cousins and aunts and uncles and you know people who you know and love and trust in a, a completely in a family sense but this discussion is <laughs> thrust upon them around ownership all of a sudden it's new so helping navigate that is is a common thread in in the work that i'm doing that's really interesting now so i mentioned earlier i was born into a family business and started studying family business dynamics in 1995, so a long time ago, and then started advising people in the early 2000s. And at that time, almost nobody had ever studied or learned anything about family businesses. That's now more than 20 years on from that. 
And do you notice a difference, and if so, in what way, between families who are still completely unaware of the uniqueness of family businesses and their challenges compared to families that have approached you who have already understood this, maybe listening to your podcasts and have got a really much deeper understanding of what this might entail? What I do find in terms of those that contact me off the back of the podcast is that something that I've been talking about has resonated. And you mentioned earlier it's over 100 episodes. I think it's 130 plus episodes now in, in terms. So something within those 130 episodes would have resonated with them. And without trying to sound as if I'm insulting or criticising other professional services, but lawyers and accountants, and as I was as, as a financial planner, the, the client tends to be either the legal entity, which is the business or the individual or couples within that whereas the focus of what I do is the family as a whole is the the client and, and the system and so so that helps to for them to resonate with what's going on and, and being spoken about on the podcast is that we're talking about it from a, the family element of the family business rather than the legal entity side what I am finding with families that have listened to the podcast and have then got in touch either to work with or I've had lots of families that have got in touch to have a conversation to say and as I said on previous episodes I'm more than happy to spend time talking to, to families to either point them in the right direction to another resource or whatever it is that they might be doing so but they are finding that there is more and more information and more support out there for them and I think it's a case of finding what works for you as a family rather than you know just going down a particular like one route towards a, a professional service try and get as much information as you can from from everywhere but i think there is technology has allowed it i mean we we had as i say when i started the podcast there was it was still relatively new it's now much more accepted i think lockdowns tempted a lot more people into uh, the podcast space and so the ability to disseminate information out in a useful way has grown and again that's a hugely positive thing and the more families that we can reach by doing that the better in my view because I mean you you've experienced it you've lived it in the sense of are we alone in this in experiencing these challenges and these um, kind of tensions and what you know whatever else goes along with the, the family business world and at the time you had resources available to you to allow you to do that but they weren't in the same format as they are now in you know podcasts and blogs and youtube and websites and university programs i think you you attended one of the first ones in the uk didn't you in in that sense so the, the, luckily the field has advanced hugely there's still so much more to do in my view it, it's still very underserved in terms of uh, a truly joint up collaborative um, work in practice to help family businesses to thrive across the professions. That's a rally call, if you like, on the show is that to collaborate with other professional advisors is is an aspiration because it's there's so much we can all add to it that has a much better outcome for families than taking things on in a siloed approach, which um, I don't think helps too many people. A two-part final question or two final questions. Can you give us some insights into the 
reality of you meeting family for the first time or them approaching you and how you would start to work with them just in general without giving away any of your own trade secrets if you have any. So that on the one hand, but also then, you know, you and I have spoken hundreds of times probably now together and I know that you're involved in a whole series of really, really interesting, I think, groundbreaking projects. So I'd like you to maybe tell us about them as well. Sure. So in terms of of starting the process, what typically happens is one family member will reach out. So normally it's the person that has listened to the podcast episode that has resonated and they've gone, something you've said there has triggered something. I think I might need some help and they will get in touch and we'll have a Zoom conversation or a telephone conversation or if they're close enough, I'll I'll go and visit them. And the... The point I made earlier about the family being the client is I won't work with families where I represent one person, for example. So I have to explain that I'm here to help the whole family get to a point where they feel fulfilled and that they're thriving in in the opportunity that having a family business can provide. And so part of that initial conversation is what stage are the other family members at? Are they aware that we're speaking? Do you want to set up meetings with all of them for me to explain who I am, what I do, the concept? I mean, particularly here in the UK, the concept of family business advice is still pretty new. There's not a huge number of people that are doing it in, in the way that that, that I'm doing it and, and the others that are family business advisors are, are doing it. And so part of that, again, is continuing the education process of this is what consultancy looks like. This is what it's likely to be. For you and your family and because I'm being you know asked to work with a family the level of trust that needs to come with that is very high and something that I, I definitely don't take for granted because they're letting me into conversations that they probably won't have with other professional advisors because it doesn't feel right to be talking about that with say a lawyer or accountant and again sweeping statement and I know there's some very good lawyers and accountants out there that have those conversations but it's about bringing everybody to the same point in terms of the process to go, you need to come at this with an open mind. The the process or the consultancy process that I follow is very much one of facilitation rather than, again, tick box exercise. So the answers lie within the family. I help them to create the environment that produces the answer so that it it is something that is they own that, that that they can take ownership of rather than it being here's a template put your name at the top and sign it at the bottom and you know there's your family charter for example so it's about getting everybody to a starting point where they are open-minded enough to to embrace the process and trust that it's a process and then beyond that it is if there's not everybody willing to commit to it it's working with a coalition of the willing shall we say of those that are willing and happy to participate. And if there's, say, one person that's very much against it, often the fear of missing out will then bring them back into the process because they it's talking about really important stuff that affects them. And so we bring them back into the process to make sure that they're involved and they feel heard and listened to in, in that process. You mentioned other projects. It's kind of a, a very happy byproduct of the uh, podcast is that it has allowed me to to meet and work with some fantastic people 
you're obviously one of those people and we are at the moment planning and setting time aside to record a separate podcast series that brings both of our skills together. So one of those is obviously your mindfulness um, skills and the teaching that you bring to mindfulness. So we're going to have a deep dive on all of those mindfulness topics that are, are really important, but through the lens of a, of a family business. So people can, can keep an eye out for that. And I'm really excited about that. We've also, one of the projects that you and I were involved in two, three years ago was for me to interview your family business story sort of out of you <laughs> without that sounding too violent but it it was a fascinating insight into to your story we, we got 35 hours I think of recordings capturing every element of of what you went through as a family business and you and I have, have put that together into something we, we've called transitions which is learning from those experiences and how other family businesses can can take on those learnings so that's very exciting as well and then I'm doing um, involved in an academic research project with a fantastic colleague in America called Dr Jamie Weiner who is a psychologist he and I have been interviewing rising generation family members from around the world on the topic of what's it like growing up in the land of giants. So what's it like growing up around significance? And how do you find your own place in the world when you're in the shadow of a giant? He has just uh, finished writing a book on that, which will be published over the summer this year. And again, we're planning a separate podcast series around that, which will be titled The Quest for Legitimacy. We think the findings from it will help shape how advice is given to rising gen and the next generation in, in family businesses because it, it's exploring how they have their own feeling of legitimacy rather than, you know, the traditional, can you teach my son or daughter about what money is and what wealth means? And it's all valuable stuff, but that doesn't help them develop their own feeling of, of self-worth. So we're really excited about that project as well. Um, and various other things. I've, I've, I've been invited to join the uh, advisory board and faculty for the Ultra High Net Worth Institute, which is a not-for-profit think tank, which is looking to kind of redefine and reshape how advice is given around wealth to, to that market. So th there's lots and lots of different things that I've been very, again, very fortunate to be involved in, all sort of predicated on the skill of pressing record on a computer. So it's a surprising benefit of being able to do that. Superb. Thank you so much, Will. I'm out of questions. Other than one final one is, <laughs> do you manage to practice what you preach in terms of taking care of your own time with your family and getting space for yourself and them? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll be honest, in, in terms of the last couple of years, it's been both harder and easier. We, we did same as everybody in terms of the initial lockdown, we're having to do a lot of homeschooling. We were allowed out for an hour a day. So it was kind of family walks across the field. We, we're lucky to live near some beautiful fields so we, we can walk across those and, you know, be very grateful for, for that. Um, running my own business, I have to be very disciplined with my time in terms of making sure that I don't neglect that side of it. Part of the benefit for me is having an office at home means that when the kids come home from school at three o'clock, assuming I'm not in a meeting, I can go and spend time with them then. And we we cook together and we, we 
a bit as a family obsessed with MasterChef. So we tend to watch MasterChef together and, and spend a lot of time um, together. And, and the weekends for me are where, you know, the work stays uh, strictly away from the kids' time and, and my other half. So, yeah, I hope so. I think there's always areas I can improve. But, yeah, I try try to get that balance right. Great. Thanks very much, Russ. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, and I really appreciate you stepping into to the interviewer's fold as well. It's been a different experience for me being on the other end of the microphone, particularly on, on my own show, but I've really enjoyed our conversation, so thank you. Thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you found the show helpful, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and remember to subscribe to our newsletter. If what I've covered in the show resonates with what you are facing in your own family business, I can help. I provide consultancy support to family businesses of all sizes, so please get in touch if you'd like to know more. Head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. Until next time, take care.